Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Good morning. Uh, if you're just joining us for this sermon series, it's called This Is My Story. And our pastor, the beloved John Middendorf, is on sabbatical. And um, the rest of us are filling in one by one. And today's my turn. Lucky you. Um, <clears throat> I'm wearing my clerical collar today because, honestly, I'm just not tall enough to look pastoral without it. So I hope that you'll bear with me um, as I kind of muddle through the... I, I totally get why preachers like these, by the way. I was so nervous this morning. All I could think about was my sermon. And not having to think about what I was going to wear was a, like a weight off my shoulders. It was just like, bam, there you go. Sorry, <clears throat> that was a tangent. Okay, <clears throat> so I have been wanting to preach on this subject for a long time. This is a sermon on God and creation. No, you are not exempt. Creation, we are creation. All of this creation. So <clears throat> it is really hard to narrow down a passage for a sermon like this. Um, the earth is mentioned well over 700 times in scripture. And so to just pick one to tell about God's passion and his relationship with the planet was excruciating. Luckily, the lectionary provided me with a really great teaching moment, so I just went that direction. It's kind of cheating, yes, but um, we'll do it anyway. <clears throat> so, I love this clicker thing, by the way. Um, John often uses this stage as a timeline. I like John, so I'm going to do that too. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, most of us know um, this story, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. But if you kind of remember, such and such was made, and it was good, and it was made, and it was good, and that was made, and it was good, and that was made, and it was good. <clears throat> Creation was made. God called it good. And then what's really interesting um, in Genesis chapter 1, gosh, I think it's verse 28. Hold on, my notes are over here. Yes, it is verse 28. <clears throat> so God says to humanity at the very end of all this, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I think what's interesting about this is, no sooner has God made us in God's image than he commands us to image that image to creation, Right? Uh, maybe that was kind of hard to follow. <clears throat> God made us in God's image and then calls us to be that to creation. And I think that's fascinating. What a huge opportunity, burden. Is it terrifying? Maybe so. I, I think maybe it is. Um, the next story I want to point out, because I can't point them all out, right? So we're going to fast forward a little bit um, to the story of Noah. Oh, right. I had a slide for that. Anyway. 
Noah and the ark. <clears throat> and we all kind of know this story too. But I think there's a little part at the very end that gets brushed over. So I want to kind of point that out to you and maybe even have you pull out your Bibles. I don't know. Um, but basically, there's this flood narrative, right? Where humanity becomes something that God no longer approves of. And um, there's a need, right, to start over, to hit the reset button. And so God ushers everything onto this boat that is necessary for that restart. Note, it is all of creation and just a tiny bit of humanity. So we're all on this boat for a very long time. And <clears throat> flood waters come and basically take over what we know of as the planet. And after a while, the, the waters recede and the boat goes down and creation is kind of released back out into its home. And what I find fascinating about this is the covenant. Um, in the NIV, it's called the covenant of God with Noah. But I think that's a total travesty, and I'll tell you why. If you have a Bible, um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 8. I have the NIV, so if you don't, you'll have to excuse me a little bit. <clears throat> now listen, listen for our role in this, right? And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Do you get it yet? Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, oop, did I just read that? Oops, sorry, okay. And all, uh, Whenever a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. And I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by a covenant between Noah and all of life on the earth. I'm fascinated by the idea that God created us in his image and then sent us out to rule creation. <clears throat> I think so often this particular story gets kind of glossed over as a story of Noah or Noah's family or the covenant between God and Noah when I think it's so much bigger and it's so much more. It's a call to us. We are called 
We are part of a covenant, a huge covenant, not just between us and God or Noah and God, but humanity and God and creation, creation, humanity and God, all of these things all together. And I just think it's fascinating. So let's fast forward from that point of commitment to another um, moment here in Matthew 6. Um, If you have been in classes with me or you've been a part of a college group, you know that this is probably one of my favorite passages um, of Jesus' teachings. And it's the passage about worry, or we think of it as the passage about worry. And really, it probably is a passage about anxiety. But therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. And I just think it's beautiful, the extravagant provision and compassion of God for creation. Clearly, this is not a solemn, serious, divided relationship. These are love loving relationships, a lover to his beloved. God cares for creation so intimately. It's unimaginable. I'm just fascinated by this. And um, as a side note, I think it's really interesting that we're worth more than many sparrows, but um, we're only more important than the grass because we live longer, which is really nice. And so you might say, okay, this is great. Um, we're called to image God, to creation, to rule over creation, to be the image of the God that feeds and clothes to creation. But there's people on the planet, and people are hurting, and humanity is more important than creation, so I just don't have time for both. I can't spend my life on creation because they're suffering. I really struggle with this. I, I feel like this is one of the... Um, <clears throat> you know, major heresies of our time is that creation is, is under here, right? And humanity's uh, up here. And so these are our priorities. And so that's all we have time for. We can't do both. <clears throat> Number one, I, I would say you're called to do both. <laughs> I have a lot of um, problems with this particular strategy, I think you're ignoring how inextricably linked we are. But rather than spend tons of time refuting this with logic, I thought it would be nice to just tell a story. Um, So you have this in your worship folder, or a different picture, actually, of William Wilberforce. Um, If you didn't see the movie Amazing Grace, I know it came out years ago, I just saw it last night, but it's fantastic. Um, this guy is awesome, and actually the movie does a great job of portraying him the way that his biography portrays him. So if you're curious about this guy after I give you my little spiel, then you should totally watch Amazing Grace, because it was really good. 
Um, but this guy, <clears throat> William Wilberforce, um, became a Christian as an adult, uh, and um, a young adult, really, as he entered Parliament, just after he entered Parliament. And he really struggled with what to do with his faith. And he was confronted by this issue um, at the time, the slave trade. And the more he learned about the slave trade and the mistreatment of people, the less he could just sit and let it happen. And he was one of the youngest members of parliament and he began to make this his life. He began to devote everything he was in parliament to this rejection that the notion that there is any inequality among humans. And he fought, he fought, and he fought, and he fought in Parliament to get these people to realize that it was not just prophets. These were people. This is a problem, guys. We gotta fix this. And after years and years of toil and research and work, finally, something happened. <clears throat> right. In 1807, the slave trade was finally made illegal in Britain. This is a full 56 years before Abraham Lincoln would sign the Emancipation Proclamation. This is before any other country in the world could say out loud, this is wrong. He was the first one. He saw it and he fought for it and he made it happen. He's a huge part of why we think the way that we think today. He was the catalyst for an incredible movement for humanity. But that's not all. And I think it's my favorite part of this guy's story is <clears throat> actually he did so much for creation. William Wilberforce co-founded the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. See, at the time, there were few laws on the books about <clears throat> not treating your animals poorly or not mistreating your animals, but they were rarely, if ever, prosecuted. No one was paying attention to these laws because these are animals. They can't speak for themselves, and nobody was standing up to speak for them, and he decided that this was not okay. The movie is great because it really gives you a picture of his heart. His house is full of animals that he's rescued and rehabilitated, a hare and a fox and a raccoon, and um, he just had this huge, extravagant compassion. He felt called by God to be that image to the world. In the first year alone, the um, <clears throat> SPCA prosecuted 66 cases um, against people for mistreating their animals, more than had ever been prosecuted ever at all. It was the first animal welfare organization that we know of in the world. It spawned an entire movement and turned into eventually the Royal RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and spawned what we have here in the U.S., the ASPCA, and tons of state organizations as well. So he was the catalyst in both realms, right? for humanity and for animals and for creation. Um, if you kind of keep up with the news a little bit this week, the Pope just put out an encyclical. Um, I, I haven't read it all because it's like 160 pages. Uh, but he's been tweeting little snippets. You should totally follow the Pope on Twitter. I'm not Catholic. Ignore the caller for a second. Um, but you should totally follow the Pope on Twitter. Um, he's just a great, great guy. If you get um, Jason's Twitter updates on his little newsletters, he's always got a Pope quote because Pope Francis is just the man. Um, 
But he put out this encyclical this week calling us as humans, as Christians, as followers of Christ to be better at loving creation. Um, I loved one particular tweet. I'll just read one, I promise. Um, Living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is not a secondary aspect of our Christian experience. I think that's amazing. It's a primary aspect of our Christian experience. So that finally brings me to today's text. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, this is Mark 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. This other side is the Sea of Galilee. And this is a great picture of what it's, um, you know, modern day Sea of Galilee. And you can tell it's not huge, but it has a huge reputation for really bad storms. Even today, if you park near the Sea of Galilee, I'm told that there are signs all over the parking lot warning people about the sudden swells and the big waves and um, the storms that come upon the sea. So it's not just, you know, a little bitty thing. Like, this is actually kind of a really big deal to be caught in one of these huge storms. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. Oh, yeah, that's a painting. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I love this part. That's, that's a total tangent, but I love that Jesus is asleep on a cushion. This is not a sermon about waking Jesus up, but gosh, I wish it was, because that would just be a fun sermon to preach. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is really fascinating because in a lot of other rescue narratives, this line is, help, save us, or Jesus, we're drowning, right? But Mark has specifically chosen, and it, we feel like it's, uh, the commentators that I've been reading this week feel like it's on purpose, right? Because those questions would be to a Jesus they felt like could do something. So this is just reiterating how small the faith of the disciples is in this very moment, that they don't even ask Jesus to rescue them. They just say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love that Jesus does not even go, come close to answering this question. Like, really, do I even have to answer that? He woke up, he rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And I think this is so interesting because I think of the people in my life who could say to me, Peace, be still. And I would immediately calm down. I think it's the people that I trust, the people that I respect. There's something about it when somebody rebukes you and says, whoa, slow down, or hey, it's okay, or whoa, stay calm. When it comes from a person that you trust, your response is to calm down. Your response is to take their advice. When you respect, when there's a mutuality there, I think the wind and the waves knew that Jesus could be trusted and that Jesus had their best interests in mind. That may be a little anthropomorphic, but we think that this story actually happens in Mark 
so that the Jewish believers of the day could recognize that Jesus was king, king over even the wind and the waves. Jesus was God. This story appears so that people would know how powerful Jesus was, how ruler Jesus was, how ruler, how much of a ruler Jesus was, that they would know that Jesus was God. But you know what? The wind and the waves didn't need this story. The wind and the waves knew that Jesus was God. The wind and the waves knew their protector, their creator, when they saw him and heard him. They didn't need a whole story to be written down and retold and passed down to generation after generation. They knew in the moment they heard his voice speak, this was one who could be trusted. just tell a little bit of my own story. Um, I, as a, as a person, Mindy can relate to this, as a person with connectedness and empathy in my top five, um, I have always felt in touch with creation. And I have always felt a, an empathetic mutuality with creation that I, I really just can't explain. And I thought I would give you one example from, from my own life. Um, when I was young, <clears throat> I, there was this treat in my grandparents' backyard. And we were lucky at the time to live pretty close to my grandparents. When I was eight or nine, we would go over there quite a bit. And I hardly ever got, hi, Grandma, hi, Grandpa, out before I was shooting through the back door to be with my tree, right? This was my tree. Who is your best friend, Brittany? This tree right here in the backyard. And I would climb it every single time. I, it's, it was one of those like really soft bark, right? So it never scraped me. And it had this big trunk at the bottom that split into three trunks. So it was really easy to climb up as a little kid. It had kind of like a step there in the trunks and I would climb all the branches. And it gave out these weird pea pods certain times of year. And I would like pick those and throw them at people from my, you know, treehouse. Anyway, <clears throat> and I once nailed, with the help of my parents, it, some boards across the three trunks so that I could kind of pretend that was my treehouse. And um, I had little parties up there and talked to my other friends besides the tree. <clears throat> anyway, so I'll never forget the day when we went over to my grandparents' house, and I said, hi, Grandma, hi, Grandma. And before anyone could stop me, I burst through the back door, and there was a stump. I'm such a dork right now. My tree, my beloved tree, my beautiful tree. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. I was inconsolable the whole rest of the day. Nobody knew that it was so important to me, but I just knew that this tree and I, we were interconnected somehow, and I couldn't explain it, but I knew it, I knew it, and it was gone. I've spent the rest of my life trying to understand how I can keep the trees alive, how I can be the image of God to creation, how I can help creation thrive, And I read this story, and I can't help but think that creation is not a pantry to be raided, but a creature to be beloved. And I just want to ask you, 
Does creation trust you? When creation hears your voice, does creation know that you can be trusted? When you say to this mountain, move, does it move? When you say, peace, be still, does it calm? I hope that we can all try to find a way to minister to humans and creation because it doesn't have to be divided. It's all one. It's all connected. <clears throat> God has called us to love extravagantly. And the God who commits himself to creation as just as much as he does humanity must call us to love extravagantly everything all of creation to be the image of God cherish the beloved creation in your life find ways to image God to animals and trees and fields speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves because they're loved We talk a lot about stewardship of creation. And I just want to call you one more time to that again today. To steward creation in your own way. I'm sure it's different from mine, and I've been on a long, crazy journey with creation. But you've got to find your own, because I think we're called. We're called to both. We're called to all. We're called to be the image of God, to rule over the land and the sea and the waters as God might himself. Well, that's me with the sheep. <clears throat> we do communion every week here at OKC First. I think it's interesting because it's a, it's a sacrament that comes from the land itself. And we've brought it here to the table for us. We offer an open table. If you're here for the first time, but you know a need for God and you want to draw near to him, I invite you to come. All are welcome. We've got gluten-free bread, so there's no need for you to feel like something should keep you from being among us. If you're helping to serve this morning, come on up and um, you can start preparing the elements for us. Let me pray for the community real quick. Father, bless these elements. Be with us as we take of the fruit of the vine and the bread of the fields, God. Open our eyes to creation all around us. Forgive us for feelings of superiority or entitlement or that we just don't have time. Be with us as we try to listen to your Holy Spirit speak to us about who you are and where you are and what you've called us to. Amen. In a moment, we'll have you stand and go to the left and, and come forward to receive the communion elements. <clears throat> we do communion by intinction. So you'll receive your bread with outstretched hands and you can dip it into the cup and um, then I would invite you to pray. It's been a crazy week um, in South Carolina and Detroit and um, here at home with the local sportscaster. I, I might invite you if you feel led to come and pray for those who are hurting. 
across our nation and here at home. If you don't wanna pray up here at the front, then find your way back to your seat and I hope that you will continue with us in prayer. If you can't get up um, yourself, my husband Aaron will come around with a little tray and uh, make sure that you get communion. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you. Do this each time you drink it. See? 
that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved the other as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we do humbly repent. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray especially that you would be with those hurting in South Carolina. Oh, Lord, we cannot imagine the horror and the pain that they must be going through. Strengthen them. Be with them. Fill them up with your spirit. God, we pray especially for those in our midst with cancer of Debbie McKenzie and June Adams, Lord. Touch them. Touch their bodies. Touch their hearts. Be with them as they learn once again what it means to trust in you. God, I, I think especially today of the students on Sims trips. Lord, you have blessed us with 18 people going abroad this summer for your glory, God. We just pray that you would be with them that you would be with each of these teams that are trying to be your hands and feet to others. Join me now in praying the Lord's Prayer. We'll use debts and debtors, and if you need it, it'll be on the screen. 
Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 